I think America, in many ways, is like some people you and I have known. You ever known someone who just kept messing up, kept making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, and, and you thought to yourself, are they ever going to grow up? Are they ever going to realize what they're doing to themselves? Are they ever going to start making better decisions? You know anybody like that? I think in some ways that's a, that's a picture of America. We're all familiar with some celebrities who seem to mess up quite a bit. Let me show you uh, one of them. Anybody remember Lindsay Lohan? You know, so talented as a child and a teenager and a young woman, an actress. What was that movie, Freaky Friday and Parent Trap and all of those? Uh, those are six different mug shots between 2007 and 2013 uh, when she was arrested. And she's one of those who's so talented, got so much money, and you say, is she ever going to grow up? Is she ever going to start making better decisions? And you know, when someone's, when someone's arrested and they take their photograph, their, their mug shot, it, it's interesting um, uh, how they look. Most of them don't look very good, but there's more variety to mug shots than, than you might think. So let me just show you a few mug shots. Take a look at this one. All right, how about this one? Better yet. Next one. Uh, you might expect that. Well, there's more. Let's go to the next one. And let's go to the next one. Now, now listen, while they, while they leave that photograph up a minute, okay, I, just, I, want you, I want you to hear something. There was a group out in Los Angeles that used some software to do an analysis of more than 30,000 mugshots from every state in the country, all across the country. And they, they were each assigned a category based on their expression. For instance, that one would be happy. Yeah, some people have a happy face when, when they're arrested and, and they take that photograph. They had sad and anger, you know, contempt. So they, they assigned some different emotions. And, and what, what do you think was the number one emotion discovered from those more than 30,000 mugshots taken all across this country? What do you think was the number one emotion? Let's go to the next slide. Happiness. 59% of the people were smiling when, the, when, when, when their mugshot was taken. That surprised me. I don't know if you can read it, but some of the others, happiness was uh, first, sadness was second at 21%. And then you see the others, contempt, anger, surprise, disgust, and fear. But over a half, over a half were smiling. So they assigned that a happiness. But now, I want to ask you another question before they show you the next slide. Which state in America do you think had the highest percentage of smiling faces of happiness on mugshots? Which state? What? Next slide. North Carolina. Our, our cousins up the road. <laughs> and uh, down at the bottom... The top five crimes, the five most common crimes that those with smiling faces in their mugshots had committed. I don't know if you can read all of that, but here's the top five in order. Contributing to the delinquency of a minor, and they were smiling. Cruelty to animals. Child sexual abuse. Vandalism. And resisting an officer or fleeing when, when they're trying to arrest you. Pretty serious stuff, right? And yet, those were the crimes committed by the majority of people who were smiling when their mugshot was taken. 
What's that tell you? But brothers and sisters, I think I think that's a parable of America. I think I think that's a picture of where our nation is. Because there's a lot of people who go through life, as I said, making bad decision after bad decision, and they just keep smiling, oblivious to the consequences. No big deal. It's like it all goes over their head. Right? You know people like that. Nations do the same thing. I think America is doing that right now. And the Bible teaches that God judges individuals, but He also judges nations. And if an individual or a nation smiles at sin, ignoring the Word of God, eventually their sin catches up to them. You know, those, those people who keep smiling and making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, sooner or later it all comes crashing down, doesn't it? Be sure your sin will what? Find you out? Well, the same thing's true with nations. You can't go on forever making a mockery of what is good and what is right, of what is moral, what is ethical, making a mockery of God and the Word of God. And when the judgment of God finally comes, they're caught off guard. I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Nahum, the Old Testament minor prophet Nahum. We are continuing this teaching series on the minor prophets and Nahum is near the end of the Old Testament between Micah and Habakkuk. And, um, you know, there have been some common themes in these uh, messages from the Minor Prophets. And while you're uh, finding Nahum, I want to just kind of give you a background and the timeline for when he's preaching so the, the message will make sense. And this timeline's also on the insert in your bulletin. We've looked at it several times now, and you'll remember that. Uh, in the 900s, the nation of Israel had a civil war and became two nations. The northern kingdom, what was it called? Y'all been listening? The northern nation, what was it called? Israel, also referred to as Samaria. Southern kingdom, usually referred to in the Old Testament as Judah, and its capital was in Jerusalem. And you see the different prophets, and remember the, the minor prophets are not unimportant. They're just called minor because their books are what? Shorter. The major prophets, their books are bigger. That's the only difference between them. And so in all caps are your major prophets and not caps are your minor prophets. And Assyria, whose capital was Nineveh, and so in the Bible it's referred to as Assyria or Nineveh, was the dominant force in that part of the world. It was an empire. And Israel, the northern kingdom, because of their sin... And their refusal to listen to God was judged by God. And the way God judged them was he allowed Assyria to conquer them in 722 B.C. And they destroyed Israel. The nation ceased to exist. The northern kingdom never existed as a nation again after that. The southern kingdom experienced a revival and turned back to God and they were rescued. Time passes. And now we're in another century. We're in the 600s. And you see Zephaniah we looked at last Sunday. Nahum preaching at the same time as Zephaniah, both of them preaching near the beginning of Jeremiah's ministry in the southern kingdom as well. And, and Nahum is preaching somewhere around 650, 640 B.C. And he's saying 
He's, he's living in the southern kingdom, and, and Zephaniah and Jeremiah are going to say to the southern kingdom, unless they repent, because after that revival, then they turned back away from God and, be, and became a rebellious and immoral nation again. And Jeremiah and Zephaniah are saying, unless you repent, God's going to judge you, and he's going to allow the Babylonian nation to conquer you. Nahum is preaching, and Nahum is saying to the people of Israel, you need to listen because God's getting ready to judge Assyria, and Assyria is going to be destroyed, and Babylon's going to destroy them, and Babylon will take their place. And you have Zephaniah and Jeremiah at the same time preaching, saying, now unless you repent, Babylon, this new empire, they will be God's instrument of judgment on you for your rebellion. And so Nahum is preaching in the south, but he's not preaching to the Jews. Not really. His is a message about the judgment of God on that Assyrian empire whose capital was Nineveh. You remember we learned that Assyria was vicious. It was the most cruel of the ancient empires. The way it treated conquered peoples was just terrible. Slaughtering anyone and everyone, including infants deporting mass populations and and resettling them in other places. And so Nahum is preaching that um, Assyria is going to fall. Now here's the thing. When Nahum preached that Assyria was going to fall, everybody in the southern kingdom of Judah, everybody in Jerusalem, how do you think they reacted? Yay! Amen! More power to them! That's good news! Because Assyria is our enemy. Same time you've got Zephaniah and a little later Jeremiah preaching to those same people saying, Yay, amen to Nahum, preaching to those same people. Now you need to repent or it's going to happen to you too. They don't listen to Zephaniah. They don't like what Zephaniah preaches. They don't like what Jeremiah preaches. But they like what Nahum preaches. You see, it's so much easier for us to hear a message about somebody else than it is a message for ourselves. It's it's so much easier for us to look around and point fingers and talk about them, talk about him, talk about her, talk about over there, talk about that sin than it is to deal with my own reality. It's human nature, right? But if you're going to grow in your relationship with Jesus, you need to fight. You need to resist that tendency in your heart. And every time there's a word from God, you need to say, God, speak to me. I need to hear from you, God. I want, I want to be close to you, God. What's your word for me, God? Now, Nahum in chapter 1, verse 1, if you have your Bible uh, follow with me. Nahum chapter 1, verse 1, the oracle or the message of God. That's what that word means. Of Nineveh. It's a, God's message to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Mentions his name. And then in verses 2 and following, says that a jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. Now, Nahum is preaching this message to the southern the people in the southern kingdom, that, and it's a message against Assyria, Nineveh, and, he's, and he's, he says that God 
notice verse 2, that when it comes to these nations who are evil, these nations who are not listening to God, these nations who are rebelling against God, these nations that are treating people wrong, these nations that are immoral, that God is an avenging God. And there is wrath, and He takes vengeance. He reserves vengeance for them. In other words, God judges nations, not just individuals. God judges nations. But in verse 3, He's patient, slow to anger. Now that verse applies to individuals, but in this context, He's talking about the way God deals with nations. That God, what God, God's timeline's not always ours. Sometimes the patience of God means we, we think God's forgotten about it. We th- it's taken so, taking so long, we think God's not doing anything. God's not going to show, show up. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to smile because it doesn't matter. And we misunderstand the patience of God. Do you, do you know when God judged Nineveh, Assyria? Babylon destroyed them in 612 B.C., 40 years or so after Nahum preached this message. We've we've been asking the question, is it possible that America is under the judgment of God? Is it possible that America will be under the judgment of God during our children, our grandchildren's lives? I I don't know God's timelines for anything. I just know what God says he will do. And things may happen in my lifetime, they may happen in my children's lifetime, they may happen in my grandchildren's lifetime. The one thing I know is God honors His Word. Do you know why God is patient? Why God sometimes seems to be slow? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow about His promise, His Son counts slowness. In other words, we, we think God is so slow... <laughs> God, you're doing nothing. He's not going to keep his word. And God says, you don't understand. My patience, my slowness, it's not the way you think about it. But it's patient toward you not wishing for any to what? But all to what? Come to repentance. Now, there's a time when the patience of God is full. And judgment comes. It came on Assyria in 612 B.C. It came on the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. It came on the southern kingdom of Judah between the years 606 and 587 B.C. It's three different times Babylon invaded, and each time it was worse. He's patient, he's slow, but there comes that moment when patience is full. And it's time for wrath and vengeance and judgment. But... During the days of patience, the days of slowness, God is giving people an opportunity to turn from their sin and repent, giving nations an opportunity to turn around. You remember 100 years before Nahum, God sent another prophet to Nineveh. Do you remember his name? We talked about him a few weeks ago. Who? Jonah. And Jonah's message to these same people, to this same nation, to this same city, Nineveh, Assyria, was unless you repent, God's going to judge you. What did they do? They listened, they repented, and God spared them. Now there's another generation on the scene. In fact, it's two, three generations down the line. And they've turned from that repentance. They've turned from that revival. And God's sending the same message just through a different prophet. 
Same message to Judah a hundred years before they had repented. But now they're not. You see, every, every country, every country is one generation away from good or bad. Every family, every family is one generation away from walking with Jesus or not walking with Jesus. And grandparents, some of you grandparents need to be downstairs where our children are on Sundays playing with, loving on, and teaching those kids. You've not done your time because your time's not done until you're in glory. We're just, we're just one generation, two generations away. You, you never reach a time in life as an individual or as a country where you're done. What, what are, let me ask you, what, what are you investing in the children of this generation? You say, I did mine. I so great, thank God. What are you doing today? Are you alive and breathing? What are you doing today? What are you investing in young lives today? You, you want the future of this country? Invest in kids. God, in verse 3, slow to anger, but He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He comes in a whirlwind. He's, he has great power. His patience gets full. When he finally judges, it's a powerful thing and no one can stand against it. That's why time is of the essence. Look at verse 14. Speaking to about the, the people of Assyria, the capital city of, of Nineveh, Nahum says, The Lord has issued a command concerning you. Your name will no longer be perpetuated. I will cut off all, all idol an image, all your religion is going to go away from the house of your gods. I will prepare your grave for your contemptible. Can, can you imagine that image that God is saying to the people of Nineveh, the people of Assyria, I'm digging your grave right now, and unless you turn around, you're going to be in it pretty soon. Can you imagine God saying that to this country? Can you, can you imagine God saying that to you? Because maybe you're that person who's been going through life making bad decision after bad decision. Maybe you're that person going through life saying to Jesus, one day, someday, in the future, I'll get serious about you. Maybe you're that person going through life smiling at all the, the, the laws that have been broken, smiling at all the bad. Maybe you're the one. It's, it's, God's taking your mugshot today, and you're, God, it's no big deal. And God says, you need to turn around, you need to get serious, you need to do it today, because if you don't, I'm digging your grave. You know, history teaches us that nations don't last forever. 2014, as many of you know, Monisa and I spent three weeks in Italy. Had a good time. We're there for our, our granddaughter's birth. Got to see a lot of the sights, a lot to see in that country because it was the seat of the Roman Empire that ruled the world pretty much for, what, five centuries? 
You all do know that today Italy's pretty much a mess economically. And all of those symbols of ancient power are today tourist attractions. Right? We, uh, we went to the Colosseum twice while we were there. I actually got a tour down in the, the guts of it where the slaves and the animals stayed. And got to go up to the, the very top that's not normally open to, to the public. And it's just massive. And it's, 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 you know, it's breathtaking to think how incredible their construction was. But, but also to think of all those people who died. Think of those, you know, 60, 80,000 people gathering in there on a regular basis for entertainment. The symbol of, of, their, of their power in the ancient world today is a, is a tourist site. I, I wish it was safe to go to Iraq. I'd like to visit some of the, some of the sites in, 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 in Iraq. I'd like to go to where Nineveh's once stood i'd like to go to where babylon once stood i I can't i won't i'm not crazy because it's just dusty ruins those ancient empires greece but what about modern times i want you to think about something just in the last century just in the last century the 1900s We saw the rise and fall of German Nazism. We saw the rise and fall of Italian fascism. We saw the rise and fall of Russian communism. Don't tell me God is still not at work judging the nations of this earth. Don't tell me we're secure even if we smile in the face of God when we do wrong. And don't tell yourself there's no consequence for you personally disregarding or mocking the Lord Jesus Christ. What will happen in this new century? I don't know. What I do know is God's still God. And he's still patient and calling people to repentance and to godliness. And he still is the judge. And his earth is his. And his word is eternal. I, I, I don't know what will happen in this coming century, but there's some things I do know. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. Who, who can stand before his indignation? Who, who can endure the burning of his anger? Nobody. I do know that the Bible says in Isaiah 60, this great prophet said, For the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you will what? perish and the nations will be utterly ruined i know that's still still true when when we were in italy three uh, two three years ago um arrived at the vatican early one morning 
really early and had a breakfast in one of the interior courtyards and then toured the museum before it opened to everybody. And it's fascinating because there's so much there. And you could spend days and days and days. There's all these beautiful murals painted on the ceilings and walls, all these beautiful tapestries. Those of you who've been there, you've, it's, you, it's just one after another, it's, and they're gorgeous. But we came to one in a room, and I can't remember t- this morning if it was a mural or a tapestry. I can't remember. But I remember standing there for several minutes just staring at it and praying because it, it just it moved me deeply. And that's a picture of That's a photograph I took. And you'll notice in the background there's this pedestal, a marble pedestal. And on it had stood a marble bust, a marble statue of, of the Roman emperor. But it's now what? On the floor, broken and shattered. And who's on the pedestal? The crucified Christ. The Bible says a day is coming when every knee will what? And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is? Nations come, nations go, but God is God and always will be. And here's the question. Is He the Lord of your life? Is He on the pedestal of your heart? Or are you trying to hold up some other God, some other Lord, some other power, some other entity, some other belief system, some other value, something else other than Him in in charge of your life? Are you listening to His Word and obeying it? Or are you like the people in the mugshots just going through life ignoring Jesus and smiling the whole time because it's like, hey, there's no big deal. Look at verse 7. The Lord is good. You know how I know God is good? He sent Jesus to that cross for you and me. The Lord is good. Stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. Three or four years ago, five years ago, in Maryland, there was an 85-year-old nun. Um, she'd injured in her knee. It wasn't bad. She could still get around, but it was sore. And so she was staying. She was staying uh, in the place where, where where her group lived by herself, as all the other nuns had gone to a conference. So there, she, she goes. She gets on the elevator in this in this convent to go to another floor. And all of a sudden, it stops working. She can't get the door open. She can't get anybody. She has a cell phone. She's inside a closed elevator. (laughs) No, No signal, no reception. She spent four nights and three days in that trapped in that elevator. I mean, there was nobody in the building but her. Everybody was gone. She happened to have with her a bottle of water some celery sticks, and uh, some cough drops. And for those four nights and three days, she, she lived on that bottle of water 
eating those celery sticks and sucking those cough drops. After she was uh, rescued, she was interviewed by CNN, and she said, she said it was either panic or pray. And I believe, this is a quote, she said, I believe that God's presence was my strength and my joy. And then to the camera she added, really? She added, I felt God's presence almost immediately. I felt like he provided the opportunity for a closer relationship. She called it a gift because she's turned those three days and four nights into a prayer retreat with her God. The Lord knows those who turn to Him as a refuge. And He's good. He's good. You see, your refuge, listen, brothers and sisters, our refuge, your refuge, my refuge in life, it's, it's not Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. Now, I know who I'm voting for, and I hope you know who you're voting for, but I'm telling you, without apology, neither of them are our refuge. You know who our refuge is? It's Jesus Christ. And if your refuge is in anyone or anything other than Jesus, you need to grow up. And voting matters, but trusting Jesus matters more. Because no matter what happens, and I, I'll tell you, I, I, this world's going crazy. But my Jesus is the same today and yesterday and tomorrow, right? He doesn't change. And don't you be tempted to allow the patience of God to lull you in to a false sense of security. See the patience of God as an opportunity for you to do evangelism. And tell people about Jesus. And if you need some help, Wednesday night, two different classes on evangelism start. One on sharing your testimony. Another, I'll be teaching them how to use a Martin New Testament and share the gospel. If you're uncomfortable sharing the gospel, come to one of those classes and learn how to be an evangelist for Jesus. You'll do, you'll do more for your neighbors to tell them about Jesus than you will anything else. You'll do more for your neighbors to live for Jesus as an authentic follower of Christ. Let Him be your refuge. See, on that cross, you know what Jesus did? He bore God's judgment that was supposed to be mine. On that cross, he bore the judgment of God that was supposed to be yours. He endured the judgment of God for humanity and offers us now forgiveness in heaven and eternal life. Some of you need to stop just smiling at God and saying, God, it's no big deal. I've got plenty of time. It's all right. And today, be one of those mug shots of somebody who's sad because you realize you're a sinner. You realize you need forgiveness. You realize without Christ, you're not going to heaven. 
Some of you need to repent of your sin because you understand today that sin has a price. And sinful living may show up the most in your kids' and grandkids' lives because of what they inherit from you. And young families, young adults, don't you think that the decisions you make in your teens and 20s don't have an influence on the rest of your life? They most certainly do. So give your life to Christ. And let Him be your refuge today.